Power Podcast this week, the end is nigh. Yes, that's right. Bill Nye, he pops in to talk about his new movie, The Limehouse Golem. And just to keep on a horror tip, Adam Wingard pops in to talk about his Netflix movie, Death Note. Oh, just in time for Halloween. Oh, let him warn the movie podcast. I had a great day in the transfer deadline yesterday. I snapped up Ultron for just £4.50 from the Avengers. They had him out the back in a jumble sale type thing. No, that doesn't make any really sense. Cheap. He wasn't on the team. Well, he was hanging around. He, well, £4.50, you're not going to argue with that, are you? Um, James Spader in a mocap suit. Yeah, fair. Just walking around in a onesie. Bargain. Golly. Bargain. I'd pay cheaper twice the price, in fact. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week, for the final time, is sponsored by those lovable guys at Sky Atlantic and their new original revenge thriller, Tin Star, starring Tim Roth, Genevieve O'Reilly, Christina Hendricks and a whole lot of bullets and snow uh, will be coming to your screens from September 7th. I've just checked my watch and it, I don't, oh, it doesn't have a date on it. What date is today? September 1st. Well, that's just six days away, isn't my it? My God. That's just six days away. And you're probably thinking to yourself, what am I going to do on September 7th? Well, now you know. You can either binge watch all 10 episodes of Tin Star on Sky Atlantic or you can watch it one a week up until October, November. Something like that. What a choice. Wow. Amazing. So there you go. It's entirely up to you. Uh, and this week, as you've already heard, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Um, first up is our geek queen, a lady who hasn't been in a six-hour meeting all day and thus hasn't had time to write an intro for her involving something to do with supernatural and shirtlessness. It's oh my Helen God. O'Hara. <laughs> that, was, that was poetry, Chris. Yeah. Pure poetry. Pure, pure poetry. They're still not shirtless. But okay. Uh, didn't someone send me a yeah, like, picture this week? Yeah, like that one picture, of that one scene that in like one scene. season two, probably. So, oh yeah, like you don't know. Well, like it, was you only, don't ha- it was only Sam, it wasn't Dean. So like, It's hard to tell them apart, quite frankly. Uh, Dean, his nipple actually no, slants a little bit no. to the left. Ew, no. It's true, it's true. He cannot balance an M&M on his nipples. <laughs> he can't. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's a, I don't even a know big what, deficit. I don't even know. What, what is that a criteria for? Like, who judges people in their nipple, nipple M&M, M&M balancing, balancing capability? You do, Helen. That's, that's, do I? That's what you do. Yeah. Really? No wonder I'm having such trouble getting Have you a never date? gone to a gentleman's or a lady's uh, strip joint where the gentlemen are gyrating <laughs> on the stage. Have you never done this? Helen? I have never done this, Chris. And thrown M&Ms at them and gone, dance for me, monkey. You must, you must balance it on your nipples. No. I mean, smarties are bust. <laughs> uh, next up is a quiet puddle. John, uh, John Nugent, can you balance anything on your nipples? Is that inappropriate? <laughs> is that an inappropriate question for me as to ask? As your lawyer, co- John. As your lawyer. <laughs> another colleague. My mother listens to this. <laughs> does she? Yeah, she does. She's Mrs. a Nugent. devoted listener. Mrs. Nugent, uh, does your, is your boy capable of... How would your mum know? <laughs> I, I, I'd hope she wouldn't if, she, if I did, which I oh, don't. Oh, so you've just confessed. You've just which confessed. How many listeners do you think know? Like, how many people do you think try it regularly? Like, you've never tried to balance M&Ms on a I man's nipples. I can honestly say... I mean, yeah. they'd have to be quite erect, wouldn't they? They'd have to be sort of... Uh, you'd have to, you'd have to yeah. be you would at, have at to, a certain temperature. You'd have to ice cube them up first. Yeah, yeah, but that keeps the M&Ms at an optimum temperature. <laughs> but they melt in the mouth, not on the nipple. <laughs> 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 What's happening? I don't understand. Oh, 
if we were a film podcast at one point. At this point, Sky Atlantic are going, is there any way we can rescind the Tin Star sponsorship? And people are going, no, it's fine. They, they've already heard about the Tin Star. But then the balancing of the M&Ms and the nipples and stuff. It's all gone wrong. Right, that wasn't this week's question. Thank God. All right, so this week's question comes from Stephanie Hitch. Stephanie Hitch. And it is in response uh, to a bit of news that broke today. Uh, we could discuss it. We can discuss it later on, or we can discuss it now. And uh, that news is that there is going to be an all-female version. Uh, this is in the works. Helen, you must know about this. Yes, I do. Of Lord of the Flies. Yes. And uh, and Twitter didn't seem to be terribly happy about this today. Um, do you want to tell people a little bit more about it, just in case? Just well, let's fill in some context. I mean, Lord of the Flies, the William Golding novel, which we all had to study for GCSE, I'm sure. Uh, and it is the story of uh, English mm-hmm. public school boys who get marooned on a on an island, and it all goes a bit savage. It all goes a bit Lord of the Flies, doesn't it? Really, it does go a bit Lord <laughs> of the Flies. That is correct. Um, you've M&M never been nipple balancing no. left, right, and centre. They have awful. no M Ms. It's terrible. They have to try. No wonder they go mad. Yeah. So, um, so they're making uh, apparently. <laughs> an all-female version of this. Now, this has actually uh, impressively attracted criticism from both ends of the spectrum. So you have the usual sort of, oh, what are they going to make remake with women next? First Ghostbusters, now Lord of the Flies. What's after this? Die Hard. Oh, you saw my tweet. Yeah, which okay. the answer to which is, of course, <laughs> sure, why not? Um, but then you also get the criticism from the other side, um, uh-huh. which is... It was a, a novel specifically satirizing the English public school boy and the way they were dehumanized before being put in charge of an empire, and maybe that wasn't a great idea. And uh, and therefore, to make it to make it female focused loses a huge part of its actual meaning and context. Um, yes. So basically, it was getting it in the neck from both sides. It's a film apparently with male screenwriters as well, which is slightly worrying. If you because if you I think there is something in making a female Lord of the Flies in the sense of, you know, what happens to a group of women in such a pressurised, difficult, terrifying situation. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think you have to be careful to get the specifics of female behaviour in that case. And, you know, men don't always manage to do that. And maybe... Male screenwriters are not the way to go. Scott McGee, yeah, who uh, can't even spell McGee right, um, and David Siegel. That's M C G E H E E, and not M C G H E E. And frankly, I'm worried because if you can't spell your own surname right, then you're not going to get a screenplay. I, right, I feel like you? that's pr- some kind of hate crime, um, Chris. But okay. And uh, David Siegel are the guys that are going to write and direct it. Uh, they directed B Season and what Maisie knew previously. Um, which are not bad films. No, not bad films at all. And um, but I, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's not necessarily a bad idea. I don't think I'm not dismissing it out of hand. Mm. I I think the original novel was very specific to English public school boys, but I don't think that means that there's no female equivalent that would work. Yes, um, and in fact, there have been a couple of sort of literary spins on it of mm. one kind or another. Um, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure how well it's going to do. I don't know. Yes. Um, I, I'm, yeah. I, you know, we, we like to give everything the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah. And I'm always slightly wary of the idea that men can't write women and women can't write men. Sure. Because if that were the case, then frankly, what would William Shakespeare have done? Eh? Eh? <laughs> eh? But um, yeah, it's certainly it's certainly something that uh, 
that has attracted opprobrium this this week on Twitter. So it has inspired a question, which is from Stephanie Hitch at Stephanie Hitch. Uh, ideas for gender swap films that would make infinitely more sense than Lord of the Flies. <laughs> well, I was having a quick think about this just just this minute because and, uh, this question came in just about because, five minutes ago. I learned because of, this of my shambolic preparations for the podcast. as we we heard it. Uh, yeah. The first thing I thought was Ocean's Eleven, and then obviously I thought, well, that's already happening. Ocean's, Ocean's Eight, Eight yeah. is uh, due for release later this year, I think. Next, or next I year. next year, yeah. yeah. Uh, the longest post production schedule for that film. I've never understood it. Anyway, go ahead. It's just a huge amount of CGI because <laughs> they, yeah. they shot was eleven, and they have to digitally remove three. <laughs> <laughs> they got uh, it completely wrong. Yeah. Uh, I, then I thought of the Expendables, but again, that's they're talking about the Expendables. Mm, terrible title, which is just the worst <laughs> title. Uh, <laughs> that would kind of be amazing. Can you think of a better title for the female Expendables? This um, no, I was going to say the Sexpendables, but no, <laughs> that would be a completely different film. Um, hmm, not one that would not get me sacked. <laughs> okay. So, Thanks for that, Chris. That's okay. all good. No, I'm only kidding. Um, no, that's, I mean, a, that's a tough title. Yeah, that's a tough nut to crack. Yeah, I don't think you can improve on an Expendables. That's so you, you can improve upon an Expendables title. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what's a famous uh, male ensemble cast that you could turn into a female cast? Um, the thing. The thing. Yes. Yeah. Thing. Well, yeah. I think one, yeah. I think there are a surprisingly small number of films set in um, uh, convents and you know girls' schools and sort of other all female environments. Uh, there have been some, some and very good, some very bad. Some coming as well later on this year. There's um, there are yes, the nun uh, for one. The, the nun, yes, <laughs> that's true. Uh, there's also that. Um, oh my god, my mind's gone. The one with Aubrey Plaza and Alison Brie. Sure. Uh, that's coming out as oh, a comedy. Yeah. Uh, it's been out in the States, and everyone knows the name of it, and you don't need me to tell you the name of that film. There's an officiate, which is a film coming out later in the year with uh, Margaret Qualley. So, yeah, there yeah, seems to be a, a, few. a good time. A good time happening. Um, the, little, the little hours. The littlest hours. The little, my little hours. Little hours. Maybe. Little hours. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Should little hours. Go, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get, no, don't go there, John. <laughs> don't don't people, reform yourself. People don't come to the Empire podcast for <laughs> for information for and facts. facts. No, fake news. Accuracy. But the Little Hours is indeed the name of the thing. Yeah. I knew it. Bang. Yeah, of course you did. Bang Straight on. away. Straight Amazing. Away. Um, but I think there are... Um, look, there has been a tendency in culture, not just film, to assume that men's stories are inherently more exciting or important than women's stories. And I think the women's stories which have worked and which have proved that wrong are the ones that drill into um, the particular ways that women interact uh, in all female situations, and men can and have written that really well. One of the great classics of the genre is *The House of Bernarda Alba* by um, García Lorca, which is an incredible Spanish play, um, and which is one of the most scary things I've ever read. Um, so there are great, great examples of it, and yet it is often terrible, like super bad um, when men do it. So it's it's a kind of you know, you need to fall somewhere between *The House of Bernarda Alba* and you know whatever happened to Baby Jane, which is also terrifying and female-focused and, 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 you know, just the really bad, terrible Centrinian sequels kind of a thing, which mm. don't get it at all. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I don't think it's just a question of you take a, a classic film that has an all-male cast and just 
switch up the genders. You, no, you have to have something that speaks to, to the female something. condition. Yeah, you do. It's and the you, way that women interact. Yeah, you do. I agree with that. But I also think there is a place for remaking or repurposing mm. existing titles because men have dominated the culture so much for so long that... Um, every recognizable title pretty much is a male-focused one. And therefore, if you're looking for brand recognition and the things that drive sales, then you're almost always looking at something that is male-dominated. And this is the problem we have sort of in comic book adaptations as mm. well. Almost all of the recognizable names are male names. Mm. So if you just, if you keep insisting, oh, it has to be an original story, why can't you do original stories? Why can't it be this? Why can't, can't it be that? The reason is because so much of the cultural oxygen is already taken up. And unless we can sort of take some of that back, there is no physical space. There is no financial space for original female-focused ideas. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a little bit of appropriation of male-led stories and retooling and completely reshaping of those. And if you do it well, it can be brilliant. And if you do it badly, it's terrible. But if you do it well, it can be brilliant. And I think that's that's why this kind of this Ghostbusters stuff and the you know the, this kind of idea is coming up because they're looking for names that will work that don't have to be male led. Do you remember the film Salt with yes. Angelina yes. Jolie, which was originally Edwin Salt and it's, it became that's Edwin. right. It was Edwin originally Edwin I think Salt, it was a yeah. Tom Cruise vehicle yeah. at one mm -hmm. point, and the script was a, a male lead, and then they yeah. just gender swapped it, and it became. A female lead, and I have to and think that, they probably did a little bit more than that, though. I mean, I, it, I mean, yeah, they might have. It might have been a bit more than changing the pronouns, but it can't have been yeah. that much. I don't feel yeah, like that much was more, yeah. a specifically male story that needed to, you know, a lot of work to be a, a female story. Ultimately, mm. it's a spy story. It's an action movie. You know, Angelina Jolie was pretty convincing. It was a perfectly serviceable film, yeah. right? And and apart from the bit where she actually puts on makeup to become a man. That was quite strange. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I do remember that, she, yeah. She, she pretends to be a male general well, and just looks like a... has for, the, for a large part just dimmed. Mm. But, I, yeah. I saw it twice yeah. in a day and really enjoyed it. You're yeah, kidding it's... me. That's one of the films you've seen twice in a day. Well, no, I just because I went to a press screening in the morning and then went to the, the premiere in the, in the evening because I got somebody in the office giving me tickets. I was like, yeah, all right. Angelina wow. Jolie, cool. Wow. You that saw is... Salt twice? Yeah, I was oversalted. Can't have too much salt in your diet. Yeah. Take, hey. that, take that as a condiment. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, well, we'll, we'll pepper the uh, the rest oh, of the podcast God. with terrible puns later on as well. Um, wow, that's that's amazing. I've just blown um, your mind. You have blown my mind. <laughs> so uh, the thing is interesting because uh, yeah, the thing certainly does dwell a large part on relationships between men, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's about masculinity yeah. in the way that Lord of the Flies is, for example, or the way that Glengarry Glen Ross mm. is. Uh, now, that's an interesting one. That Am I could right? be amazing with women. Like, completely different, completely different. Yeah. But amazing. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that Jason Reitman's uh, live script read series, he did an all-black version of Reservoir Dogs, and I think... He did an all-female version of Glengarry Glen Ross, which would have been pretty amazing to see. Mm. And Reservoir Dogs again is a is a film that is is all blokes, it's all sausage all the time. So it would be interesting to to swap that around and see if that changed anything, it changed the dynamics and changed the way the characters interacted. It's not mm. quite a film, but I'm a big fan of um, the graphic novel Why the Last Man, yeah, which imagines a world where all men die out apart from one guy. And his monkey. And his monkey, who is also male. 
Uh, and it's really fascinating and a really interesting um, exploration of gender dynamics and all this sort of thing. But if you flipped it and had all the women die out, I think it, it would be a completely different story. And I imagine everyone would just, you know, murder each other <laughs> yeah, within, within the first few days. I mean, the women do a fair amount of murdering. There but, is plenty yeah. of it's plenty of violence in that one, but uh, I think it's that's it's a really interesting sort of premise, uh, mm. and it's executed really well. It's a great, great graphic novel. I really hope they turn it into a, a film or a TV show at some point. Because yeah. So which one would you, if you hand on heart, if you had to see one, which one would it be? If you oh. had to, see, if you had to switch gender flip one movie, one movie, what would it be? Salt back to Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> no appropriation of our movie. That one movie that we have. Hang on, you appropriated it first. <laughs> Give it back. Top. No, I don't know. Uh, what's the most ridiculously, ludicrously macho movie? <laughs> I know, Predator. Predator. Oh. Predator. Predator with with with, with seven just ladies, women, and yeah. the, the predator's female as well. Sure, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But sure. Uh, but the Apildio Carrillo character uh, is played by Arnold. Yes, <laughs> and there's is, no mention. Yeah, and is generally sort of folded up in a corner, looking small and He's scared. Sort of, yeah, wimpers. This year goes hot, very hot. <laughs> Uh, uh, Jason Reitman did indeed do a live uh, all-female reading of Glengarry Glen Ross here's his I'll just run through the cast real quick Robin Wright yes as Ricky Roma Great that's pretty sweet uh, Catherine O'Hara as Shelley Le Machine Levine oh nice uh, Maria Bello as Dave Moss who's the Ed Harris character yeah George Aronoff played by Alan Arkin in the movie uh, he had originally cast Alison Janney but she had oh. a dropout and he replaced her with Melanie Linsky Okay. Uh, that's that's good. Mm-hmm. I, guess, I yeah. can see that. Uh, Mae Whitman played uh, John Williamson, a.k.a. Kevin Spacey. Right. Go to lunch. Go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? <laughs> um, and then last but not least, Carla Gugino played two roles. She played the Alec Baldwin role, Blake, who's in the film but not the play. And she played James Link, uh, the Jonathan Price role. He's the, the Mark that, that Ricky yeah. Roma. That's a hell of a cast. That's a pretty good cast. Hell Would of a watch. Cast. I'd quite like to see Carla uh, Gugino tracking that, that speech. <laughs> you know, it's like. Yeah. ABC. You know? You know what you need to sell br- uh, real estate? You need brass balls to sell real estate. Uh, <laughs> all right, here we go. Uh, if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, you can do so a variety of ways. You can email us. We're at podcast at empireonline.com. You can Facebook us as well. And you can Twitter us. We're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Or chances are we won't see it. And hey, don't forget, we are going to be live at the London Podcast Festival on September 16th. The Saturday night slots. So if you fancy seeing in the midnight hour with the Empire team, then do come along to that. Tickets are available at www.kingsplace.co.uk and you can buy a discount package as well that will allow you to see our show plus all sorts of other live podcasts as well. If you buy three or more shows, you get a discount of 15% and you can't say fair than that. Uh, okay, should we have a guest? Let's. As of a guest. Uh, our guest this week has a movie which is uh, out on Netflix right now. He is someone who is a bit of an Empire favourite. He's the director of films like You're Next and The Guest, which introduced us, of course, to our... Someone asked us, I apparently described Dan Stevens as our former spirit animal. <gasps> is that true or is he still our spirit animal? Anyway, it introduced us to, uh, to Dan Stevens in that movie. He was fantastic. Uh, he is, of course, Adam Wingard. His new movie is Death Note, which is based on a Japanese manga. Uh, and it can be seen right now on Netflix came out on Friday it's a tale of a young man who discovers a notebook and if you write someone's name in that notebook and the method of her death 
they will meet that untimely demise. And as you can imagine, everything goes according to plan, but there's no book. That's <laughs> all totally fine. Uh, Adam Wingard, of course, is now prepping his next movie, which is King Kong versus Godzilla, or Godzilla versus King Kong. I can never remember the title, which is actually something we discuss in the interview. Uh, do enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the director of Death Note and The Guest and Blair Witch and You're Next and sundry other movies. Adam Wingard, how are you, sir? I'm great. So, um, Death Note, uh, which is a, a lot of fun, very violent. Mm-hmm. My God, it's violent. Um, <laughs> the opening death in Death Note left me under no illusions that you were not holding back in this one. Um, can you, can you, obviously you work with Netflix mm-hmm. on this movie. Uh, it didn't start out that way. So, can you talk me through how Netflix came aboard and what that means for you in terms of freedom as a, as a director? Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, whenever the script was initially sent to me, it was from uh, Warner Brothers, and mm. uh, that's who I originally signed on with. And mm. the movie had been developed there for a number of years. Um, at one point, Shane Black was um, uh, attached to it, and uh, Gus Van Sant, actually. Uh, I don't know how you go from Gus Van Sant to me, but there you go. You know? I don't know how you think of Gus Van Sant for this project. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine what his version was, although, because I never read his script. I didn't read a lot of the early drafts. The, the producers never sent them to me, and I never really asked. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I did hear that his version was really wacky, which is not what you would expect, <laughs> you know? Um but um, so the the movie had been in development there for quite some time, and they they never cracked the code, and um, you know, and and from what I understand, that you know, some drafts even like didn't have Ryuk in it and uh, mm-hmm. things like that. So uh, I think it's gone through about every inc- incarnation that you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And so you know, whenever I came on um, the script that I read, it was uh, it was interesting and it was very promising, but it still needed a lot of work. But I could see where we could go with it, and it was always a matter of like you know, if the studio is in agreement with the direction I want to go, then we're good to go. Yeah, and. And uh, I knew that it was a rated R film and that, uh, you know, all the things that the movie ended up being, you know, I knew that that's the direction we were going to go in. Uh-huh. And initially, WB was 100% on board with that uh, and, and the budget that we were looking at, too, which was relatively high for a rated R movie, yeah. um, especially a rated R movie about a magic notebook that kills people. <laughs> um so, you know, uh, but everything was going great over there. I mean, they were really passionate about the project. I think it was a very different thing, you know, for them. And so there was a lot of excitement at WB. And um, uh, and so I was developing the film, the script, uh, with them for a better part of a year. You know, I, I signed on to it right before I did Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. And so I was working on, on it kind of concurrently when uh, I was shooting Blair Witch. And so... You know, the first day that we were supposed to start official um, uh, pre-production on it um, was going to be the the uh, right after I finished the sound mix for Blair Witch. So right. on Friday, you know, we wrapped the sound mix on Blair Witch, and I went out of town for the weekend to take a little breather. Okay, and um, and everything was you know 100 percent in place. You know, everybody's telling me this is this is going to happen. You know, we had already had a line producer on, we had budgeted it out, and everything. And, you know, I'm driving back from uh, Joshua Tree, uh, which is the usual place I go to hang out, you know, whenever I need to unwind. And um, uh, I'm driving back and I get a call from my manager early in the morning. And um, and he's like, he, I can't remember what he said, but it was something kind of cryptic about the project. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, my God. He's like, am I going to have to be the the one to tell you? And I was like, what? And then oh he's like, God. yeah, they're, 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 they're putting the movie in turnaround. 
And, uh, you know, um, because at, th- at that point, that was a, a period where um, WB had kind of, he, they were having kind of a hard time. You know, they just had Pan come out yeah. uh, and it got panned. Hey, and, <laughs> uh, you know, and Heart of the Sea. And there was, there was just kind of this string of, yeah. you know, kind of flops that had been coming out. Um, and so, you know, like they, they kind of had stopped funding a lot of their, uh, or they were getting rid of a lot of their mid-range budget stuff. And so we were just on the chopping block there. And um, so for me, I thought, okay, there's no way that we're going to make this movie then. You know, there, there's not going to be another studio that's going to raise their hand and say, yes, we want to make your expensive Magic Notebook movie um, <laughs> that's very violent, you know, um, and a hard R. And uh, But, you know, as it turns out... Um, you know, Netflix is uh, was was looking to be doing you know bigger budget movies, right? Yeah, that uh, had an interesting kind of attitude to it, and um, you know, uh, so they just kind of raised their hand within a week. You know, we had this thing pretty much set up over there. It just happened really fast, and, wow. Uh, so it was very shocking. I mean, we we had interest from other studios, but a lot of them, you know, they wanted to do it for. 10 or 15 million dollars less, you know, and things like that. And the movie was already kind of budgeted to a T, you know, Mm -hmm. so we knew that anything less than what we had already kind of put down was going to be a much lesser film. And, um, uh, but fortunately, Netflix, you know, did it for the budget that we had already kind of come up with. I think we actually did it for a little bit more over there. And, uh, You know, so it, it all kind of just fell into place. So, so you, you start to read the script, and obviously you overhaul the script over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being familiar uh, on some level with the with the source material, mm-hmm. um, how much how many changes did you make? How much did you change? I mean, well, it's quite difficult. a bit. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, like from the get go, the script was already kind of set in Chicago, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, one of the first changes I made was move it to Seattle because you know I really wanted the movie to have a really dreary kind of rainy look to it. Um, but, you know, whenever you're adapting something, you know, you always have to make kind of the decision. Are you doing sort of, you know, you know, your version of it that's that's fully your own and, you know, you're kind of using inspiration or are you doing something exact? And, you know, the second you take a story out of uh, like Death Note out of Japan, which Death Note, you know, is about as Japanese as you get in every way, <laughs> you know, um, it's one of those things where it just changes everything. And mm-hmm. so... You know, early on, whenever I was coming to the realization that we were adapting something in a very uh, abstract kind of way, um, I, you know, I was a little scared because I knew there would be a lot of blowback from, you know, hardcore Death Note fans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but for me, it was like, you know, I, I think that, you know, whenever, you, you know, if you're adapting something word for word exactly, um, you know, but you stray in just a few areas, that's almost you know, more offensive, you know, to a lot of people, you know, like you always hear like, oh, the book was better than the movie kind of thing. And a lot of times when people say that, you know, they're really referring to the fact that the movie just left out one or two sequences in the book that they really liked. Yeah. And, and that changes the whole thing for them in a really negative way. And so in some ways it was kind of freeing to be like, okay, well, we're doing completely our own thing with this. And, um, and and so that was always kind of the 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 way to go from the get go, and um, yeah, and, and it just evolved very naturally over time. You know, once once we kind of once I kind of let go of the fact that we were doing something completely different, then that kind of opened up the doors to kind of just respond to say, you know, how how do we make this the best film possible? Yeah, yeah. So on, um, I'm not going to probe too much, but on Kong versus Godzilla, or 
Um, or is it Godzilla vs. Kong? What It'll was Godzilla vs. Kong. Godzilla yeah. vs. Kong. The original is King Kong vs. Godzilla, so I guess we're splitting it up, you know? There's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a big fight for billion. It's like Lennon McCartney. McCartney yeah. Lennon, it's, yeah. Kong's going, I want, I want top billion in this one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Imagine the size of the trailers. My God, it's going <laughs> to be something. But that, obviously that's going to be... VFX is, are you gonna, is it Margie mocap is is that how you're gonna you do it or are you gonna get a really big guy in a really big suit I mean um, well I mean I think I'll probably fall in the footsteps of what they're doing with uh, Godzilla two and the, yeah. in the last two films you know um, I mean obviously like I think especially Kong will probably uh, evolve him just a bit you know because he's been on Skull Island for quite some time mm-hmm. since um, the 1970s so it'll be kind of interesting to see you know, how he looks in this movie, and I have some pretty cool ideas of what I want to do with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, I, the the process is interesting. I mean, like, I'm just now getting into it because ju- we just literally finished Death Note about, like, you know, a couple days ago. And, <laughs> um, and uh, so I've had a couple, you know, overlap meetings, you know, where I've met with uh, the writer and stuff, and we've had some preliminary discussions on based on the outline that's written for it right mm-hmm. now and kind of the directions to take it. And... Um, yeah, so, you know, the, the oh yeah, what I was going to say is that um, concurrently while we're writing the script, uh, I'll be working on pre-vis, you know, animatics for uh, the film. Um, so we'll be kind of experimenting on what a uh, fight between, for instance, Godzilla and Kong looks like uh, in the movie um, uh, while we're writing the script and hopefully influencing some of the directions that we go with with the script, which will be cool. You know, like I, you know, I look forward to that process. So you're, you're you're talking to Michael Doherty. You're, you're in, in, in just a little bit. I've, yeah. I've had a little bit of communication with him. He he mentioned that uh, he he wanted me to if I was going to be in Atlanta while they were shooting that uh, he wanted me to have a cameo as like a scientist or or something like that. You know, um, I, I don't know if I'd have to shave my facial hair for that. Scientists uh, are cool, man. You know? Scientists, <laughs> yeah, scientists exactly. can I could be like the hippie scientist in yeah. the background. You know, it's fine. How's your, um, how's your clipboard? <laughs> yeah, are you good at writing stuff down? Yeah, if I can just get little glasses, I can push down the bottom of my nose and you know um yeah so i've talked with him i actually had dinner with jordan um you know who directed uh you know uh, kong and um you know and he gave me kind of a a rundown of some of the things to expect and um you know uh and that was enlightening and um you know because jordan's coming from a very similar background i am i mean i mean in a lot of ways i have you know i'm coming off of you know a lot more you know kind of individual movie experience than he had um Uh, so at least I have some idea of what he's talking about, but you know, whenever you're working on a movie of this size, it's just, you know, it's, 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 you're on a whole different level, you know, Mm. and it's good to know kind of what to expect there. I mean, that's the thing, even at this early stage, uh, you know, you haven't really technically gone to prep, I guess, on the movie, um, are you thinking about the human element of this movie when you have two titans like this, the size of the, the set pieces and... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's always thinking about the perspective of it, you know, because each film kind of takes a different route, you know, in terms of the way you're experiencing, you know, the the monsters and things. So, you know, but w- the first thing I did once um, once I even started talking to Legendary about the potential of doing this film uh, is I, I went back and I watched every single Godzilla movie um, and, and most of the Kong films. And... Um, uh, and it was one of those. It was one of the most uh, enjoyable experiences I've had in many years. You know, I, I hadn't seen a lot of the Godzilla films uh, right. since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and so it was really cool to be able to re-experience that and remember that um, you know that the emotional stakes you have in these monsters is very real, especially when you're a kid. 
And that's one thing that I want to make sure that, uh, you know, that I'm kind of injecting into it. Not just the human story, because, you know, that's going to be obviously a main focus and everything. But, you know, the main thing I really want to inject into it is kind of bring it back to that uh, level where you're really empathizing with with the monsters on a different level. Fantastic. And we, we've uh, when when the project was first announced years ago, before you got involved on the Empire podcast, we were we were going, how is that going to work? Godzilla is much bigger than Kong. He's going to use him as a toothpick. What's going to happen? But you're going to take care of that, right? I mean, Kong's Kong's bigger already. They've yep. made him bigger. He, he's bigger definitely now, and you know they do imply in the last film that uh, he's still growing. He's a bear. So, he's a baby. Uh, you know, um, he's so a little th- there's a lot of stuff to figure out there, and and, and that's why we're going to be doing previs and stuff uh, concurrently with the script mm. because it really is important to to look at those characters and the way they interact with each other and uh, and and understand that um, uh, from the get go. Mm. So, uh, so you're uh, just to go back to the the question I asked a few, a few minutes ago. Um, you're making you know, obviously Blair Witch is a sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kong Godzilla versus Kong is a is a sequel, and this is an adaptation as well. But one thing you haven't really done, obviously, you're involved with both VHS movies, you know, quite heavily, uh, is a sequel to your own work. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I love the guest, and the guest is set up particularly, I would say, <laughs> for a sequel. Is that something that's ever crossed your mind? But yeah, well, I mean, of all the films that I, I that I've done, I mean, the guest would be the one that I would want to do a sequel for. Mm. But but ultimately, you know, it, it's not like any of those movies, especially like the guest in your next, have ever been like so wildly successful. You know, financially, I mean, both of them did well in their own right. Yeah. But uh, to the point where it, it makes sense to make a sequel, it just hasn't. So that's why we've never done one. Um, okay, it's not because we wouldn't like to, but it just feels like it would be kind of a. Uh, kind of a wank fest, you know. It's just like you know, you're, you know, you're. It's like a. It, it feels like it's just for like a very small group of people. Even though I think something like the guest, you could kind of expand into something different. Yeah, it's kind of like you know, there, there's time for that, you know. And you know, right now, it's like it's about really pushing ourselves forward. And you know, for me, it's you know, uh, I feel like you know, the, the next few years are going to be about really, um, you know, exploring, you know, how 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 big I can go with these movies, you know, mm. obviously Godzilla and Kong is going to be huge, you know, I mean, ideally I'd like to do a Star Wars film, you know, uh, <laughs> but beyond that, you know, I think after this kind of uh, run of things is over, then um, then I'm going to go back and I have a, a couple movies that I want to do. I, I think I have about three movies, uh, you know, original movies that, uh-huh. uh, that, that are real passion pieces that I want to get into after... Um, Either Godzilla or hopefully a Star Wars movie. <laughs> well, that would be interesting. I mean, what's what's interesting as well is that Godzilla versus Kong is really the first out and out non horror mm-hmm. that you will have been involved with. That's true. Uh, yeah. I mean, as as a as a huge horror. It also fan. be the first uh, you know PG thirteen movie I've done. You know. Oh, it's PG thirteen. <laughs> oh, come on, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I assume it will be. You know, uh, I doubt that they'll let me go uh, hard R on that one. Well, you never but, know. Uh, Deadpool. Look at Deadpool. That's <laughs> the Kingsman. There, these are R rated films. You know, like people being sliced in two. And exactly. All sorts. Well, you know, I mean, you know, they've just got the precedent of all those films being PG thirteen. <laughs> so I'm sure I'll get kind of shoehorned into that, even though we haven't discussed that yet. But uh, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting. You know, kind of going at it that way. But you know, yeah. I mean, monster movies are really, you know, like. You know, they need to be always on the edge of almost being R, you know, but ultimately yeah. I think, you know, you you want it to be able to appeal to kids too, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. when I say that, I mean coming from a guy who whenever I was a kid, you know, my favorite movie was like, you know, Aliens and, you know, Terminator 2 and stuff like that. Um, 
You want know, the thrill of being able to sneak into the the, the movie theater or the cinema, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you 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 don't want to watch kiddie movies necessarily. You yeah. know, I mean, like, um, but but even when you're watching a kid, like you you feel like like for instance, like the Godzilla films. This is what I kind of relearned as I was rewatching all those movies. Is that um, is that when you're a kid and you're watching those, they feel like adult movies to you. You yeah. know, they feel very serious and uh, and you take them very seriously. And it's because the movies have this kind of you know their, the, you know their own kind of vibe where they are, you know, really taking you know the monsters seriously. I mean, some of the Godzilla movies they don't. I mean, some of them are kind of misses, but uh, uh, you know, a lot of them. There's almost there's almost on almost every Godzilla movie. There's something great about it. You know, even the really bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, Adam. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you. Okay, so that was Adam Wingard, and now it is time to catapult straight into movie news. Hell's Bells. Hi. What's been happening? Oh, so much news this week. Um, I mean, the big one... Genuinely, this sounds really sarcastic. <laughs> no, they're kind of... Well, there's, there's a moderate amount of news, if okay. I'm honest. Um, 14 more Joker movies announced. Oh, God. No, I mean, we've got a week without a Joker announcement, so that's oh, super good. That's um, what he wants you to think. <laughs> he's lulling us into a full sense of security. Or oh, lolling. No. Lol. No. Anyway, so uh, really good news for 90s kids. Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder are starring together in a romantic comedy called Destination Wedding. No way. They are. No. Yep. It's actually already apparently finished shooting, but they've only just sort of announced it. This um, is huge. But this, this is the first time they've kind of played lead roles together. I mean, they were in stuff together before. They were obviously, they played Boyfriend Girlfriend in Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is just one of the great comedies. <laughs> I know where the bastard sleeps. <laughs> God bless him and his English accent. I'm doing it. That was English? English. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, oh. I, I just think it's a delightful idea. So apparently they, they play miserable and unpleasant guests at a wedding at a fancy resort who are thrown together and sick and tired of everyone around them and somehow develop feelings for each other but try to fight against them. No. Don't fight it, you two. Just have attractive kissing. Exactly. Attractive 90s kissing. Is that yeah. the name of the movie? Attractive 90s kissing. Yes, yeah. it should be. It is actually called Destination Wedding. So, oh. you know. That's not a bad title, actually. Attractive 90s kissing is much better, but we'll go with it. Uh, We didn't get them the note in time, I guess. Um, She'll get it in two years' time. No way, Sandra Bullock. Anyway, someone's going to get it in two years' time. Anyway. Coley. My my word, that's going up a sexy notch. What's Um, next? uh, Slightly weird news. Lily Collins is joining Nicholas Holt in the J.R.R. Tolkien biopic. Uh, Um. So Nicholas Holt plays the young J.R.R. Tolkien in this. I think uh-huh. it's called Tolkien. And she plays Christopher Lee. <laughs> yes. Did I ever tell you I was cousins with J.R.? Yes, you did. Oh. No, she she plays uh, Edith Bratt, who's, who became his wife. Um, oh, spoiler! I mean, like, the, this is not a spoiler. He, You know, he lived, he died. It, it, they had lots of children together. I'm, this is not a spoiler, Chris. I refuse to accept it's a spoiler. Okay. All right. I'm just going to Google it and make sure that you're telling the truth. All right. Um, so, yeah, so it's a, a sort of an, uh, I don't know, I'm just very uncomfortable with a young, sexy Tolkien story. <laughs> I'm just like, I, I have read some biographies of him. I realize that at some point he was young. Yes, I have read about He must this. have been young at some he point, was, right? He was, and he was madly in love with his wife, and that's lovely and everything, but I just, I'm, yeah. Do you think it's going to be a lot of sex in this, in this I story? I just hope not. Maybe the JRR stands for Just Ruddy Roger. No. Please <laughs> oh no. God. Yeah. So that's the thing that's happening. Let's hope they don't split this film into three films. 
<laughs> yeah, look, fingers crossed. I, I think like there's not enough story for one. I will say that they're you know they're they're both great. We love them both. So let's yes, hope that they're they are both. they're great together. And they've both been on the podcast. Yes, they have. Yes, they have. Yes, they yes. Have. so well done. Anyone who's been on the podcast gets a lifetime pass from us. Yeah, <laughs> that's official. And you can <laughs> take official. that. You can take that to the bank. So it's Tom Cruise, if you're listening, <laughs> lifetime pass. Did you uh, do you? Just want to take a second to admire my willpower at not making a Lord of uh, My Ring joke. No, not anymore. <laughs> I would have given you a moment after the show of admiration, but now you've squandered it nah. on a throwaway joke. Oh. The One Tower? <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> no. Anyway, let's move, move on. on. Move on. <laughs> let's move on. I've got some news. Last week, uh, we had the news that Ed Scrine would be playing Major Ben Damio in the Hellboy reboot. Mm-hmm. And it caused a bit of controversy because in the comics, he is a Japanese-American character. Ed Scrine is most definitely not Japanese or American. He's English. Um, and he has pulled out the role in a, mm-hmm. quite a surprising move. He, he posted on Twitter, really classy statement on Twitter, saying that... It's clear that representing this character in a culturally accurate way holds significance for people. He felt it was honor, important to honour and respect that, and he's decided to step down from the role so it can be cast appropriately. I mean, fair it's, enough. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's a really good move. I mean, uh, I think it's a really like you know the right move yes. uh, when when some, when a, a sort of yeah. controversy like this erupts and you haven't already made the film. Mm. Um, but I also think it's you know a strategically good move for the film and for him. I mean, he's you know he's coming off Deadpool. He did well in that as the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a you know supporting role in a movie, an R-rated, another R-rated movie that may or may not be a huge success. It will do his career far more damage to be hit by a scandal mm. than it would do in benefit to. To yeah. play the role, ultimately. He must, have, he must have weighed up the pros and cons of speaking out. Yeah, well, I, I, would, I would imagine he spoke with the producers. No, absolutely. But he must have thought, is this going to, if I, if I speak out, if I, if I pull out this, if I release a statement, yeah. yes, I'll get kudos and it's fantastic. We applaud it. Uh, but will people think twice? You know that this, it can have a negative effect in Hollywood will people go oh, could this affect my career yeah it's really interesting and I'm glad and uh, absolute kudos to him for, yeah. for going ahead and I actually think having it, the balls to do this because we reacted like last week's podcast I, I remember very strongly you going oh Ed, Ed Scrine's been cast as this character went, oh that's good we like Ed Scrine and then you go well, the, the character's Japanese and then we went oh well, this we're not sure about that <laughs> yeah um, so it, I think it's fantastic that he's, he's grabbed the ball by the horns and done that. And Mike Mignola, who's the creator of Hellboy, thanked him in a public statement, which, again, it's interesting because I, I assumed that Mike Mignola was, was very much involved with this movie. Um, but we wish we wish Hellboy all the best. We yeah, wish we Ed Scrine all the best. He's, uh, again, someone from who was on the podcast, Liverpool fan, <laughs> lifetime pass. Um, and it's really, really cool. But I saw Chloe Bennett today. I saw a story with uh, Chloe Bennett. Who's a master, uh, masters of Shield, oh, yes. agents of Shield? Yes, and she is uh, in response to this has given a very interesting interview as well, where she basically accuses Hollywood of being very racist. And her name is Chloe Wang, and she had to mm-hmm. change her name in order to get roles. And it helped. It helped. Mm. That's the sad part. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, intriguing. So where do they go from here? I guess. I mean, there are a lot of very very talented uh, Asian and Asian American actors in Hollywood. I don't think they should have problems filling that role. Yep. I really don't. Um, so, yeah, best of luck with it. Yeah, he's hoping this this whole Ed Scrine publicity is a bit of a turning point for Hollywood and actors and casting agents and producers and directors are just a little bit more aware of the whole thing. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Anything else? Uh, a couple of other uh, quick stories. Um, ben Affleck is apparently setting up his next directing film, or at least he's in early talks, and to call the shots on Red Platoon, um, which is a, based on a memoir uh, by Clinton Ramesha about his experiences during the Battle of Kamdesh in Afghanistan on, in October of 2009. Um, so it sounds like it has, you know... I don't know, on paper, it would have comparisons to something like Lone Survivor. Not that I'm saying it was a similar situation in terms of there being a Lone Survivor. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of uh, facing vastly superior numbers in a pre-dawn raid. So um, there was a Congressional Medal of Honor involved. If you want to read more about the the circumstances, there's a bit more in our story, but I don't want to spoil everything. Apparently, if Affleck takes the job, he's looking at Casey Affleck for the lead role. Um, (laughs) Which would be the second time they've teamed up after Gone Baby Gone. Amazing. It's amazing he can, you know, he's still got his number. I mean, well, it's, it's under A. His, he doesn't have to look that far. That's true. <laughs> it's the first in his Rolodex. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so that that uh, is is apparently a thing that may or may not happen. We shall see. But That's one right. to keep an eye on. That's excellent news. As indeed, I think we talked about this last week. We talked about the return of Alan Partridge in the League of Gentlemen mm-hmm. last week, I believe, in, on the show. Um, but we didn't talk about, I don't think it was actually announced, the return of Fleabag. Yes. Fleabag is given the second series. Uh, excellent. After yes. rubbing a cheese into the face of Tony Ayres, head of commissioning at BBC. <laughs> uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge has got a second series. Amazing. Excellent. And yep. uh, a whole new adventure. We don't know much about it, but I'm excited. Couldn't be happier. In some more uh, TV news, um, we got the first trailer for Black Mirror season four mm-hmm. this week, which is very exciting. Only a 30 second or so trailer. It just gave us some little flashes from each episode and the episode titles. Mm. Um, so the episode titles are Archangel, Black mm-hmm. Museum, yes. Crocodile, Ooh. Hang the DJ, Ooh. Metalhead, yes. and USS Callister. And USS Callister is the most intriguing of these six <laughs> so far. But if you see from the trailer, it's essentially a massive Star Trek pastiche. Yeah, it has Jesse Plemons as Captain Kirk, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm very excited about this. I actually spoke to Charlie Brooker for the uh, next issue of, of Empire, and uh, he has told me some very exciting things, none of which I am at liberty to say. Well, I'm, I'm darn. Excited. You'll I'm have excited. to buy the next issue of Empire. I guess I will. <laughs> I get mine for free, Helen. Oh, I do too. Um, <laughs> just today, as we record this, the uh, full BFI London Film Festival timetable was announced, mm. uh, which is worth a look if you're anywhere near sh- London. Um, <laughs> I mean, otherwise, it's, you know, it might be too far for you to That's come. And London, England. That's London, England, not London, Ontario. No. Um, we already knew that Andy Serkis's Breathe, his directorial feature debut, I think, is going to be opening the film. Yes. Uh, Martin McDonough's Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. What a catchy title. Is closing. And Emma Stone and Steve Carell's Battle of the Sexes is in there in the middle. We now know we're also getting Paddy Constantine's Journeyman, mm-hmm. Todd Haynes' Wonderstroke, uh, mm-hmm. Alexander Payne's Downsizing, which debuted this week at Venice and is getting a lot of excitement. It did. Uh, Call it Me is. By Your Name, uh, How to Talk Pretty to Girls at Parties from Cameron... John Cameron Mitchell. I mean, Chris, I could see that one coming. Um, Killing of a Sacred Deer from the team that brought us the lobster. Thank you. Uh, Richard Linklater, The Shape of Water from Guillermo del Toro. And The Florida Project from Sean Baker. So super exciting lineup. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see more. That's a hell of a lineup. We Um, should also probably mention that uh, Noah Bumbach's The Mm Myowitz Stories is debuting in an Empire Gala. 
which is very, very... Oh, special. yeah, we should mention that. <laughs> since, we, yeah, since we're checking some money out of them, we yeah. should probably... The Empire Gala. Yeah. There um, that is probably the most exciting of all the films. <laughs> it is the most... Well, it is, because it is. it's uh, Adam Sandler in a, no, it in a is. serious drama. Yeah, yeah. And he's which, good at those. And Ben Stiller. Is. Yeah, but he does those all the time. Yeah. Adam Sandler, this, that's where it's at. Yeah. Uh, very, very excited about that. And go to the internet for more information. Uh, that's www.theinternet.com. Dot net. Um, I, sh- I will just say as well that this week, um, a few weeks ago, we lost a horror master in George A. Romero. And this week we lost another uh, in Toby Hooper, who passed away at the age of 74. And um, if you haven't seen The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, then you're missing out on one of the truly great horror films. Uh, he was a, a director who I think, probably even by his own admission, I never had a chance to, to talk to him, but I imagine... <laughs> Having read interviews with him over the years, and having and knowing people who've who've interviewed him, mm. by his own admission, he probably would have said that his career was hit and miss. But it was a career that, nevertheless, had for me three of the all-time great horror. Uh, I was going to say films, but one of them's a TV miniseries. So we'll, we'll get around that. So there's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah. He also directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which isn't a great film, but it is a lot of fun. And if you want to see Dennis Hopper doing a dueling chainsaw. <laughs> Uh, fight and who doesn't and going completely off the deep end as only Dennis Hopper could then check out uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 Texas Chainsaw Massacre is just an utterly terrifying film really primal really brutal really lo-fi he also officially directed Poltergeist Mm-hmm. And uh, I know there's obviously been a lot of discussion about Steven Spielberg's role in that in that movie, but Toby Hooper was there. He's the guy who directed the film, and uh, that has that shipped me up as a kid and has continued to do so as an adult. And of course, he is the guy responsible for two of the great images in horror uh, from Salem's Lot, the oh, gotcha. adaptation of Stephen King's great vampire novel, uh, Little Kid, Little Vampire Kid, tapping at your window, floating in midair, mm-hmm. and the appearance of Mister Barlow in the. Uh, in the prison with his full Nosferatu makeup. So, yeah, yeah uh, a director capable of true, true greatness and uh, very, very sad indeed to see him go. Toby Hooper, who died this week. Okay, time for one final message from our sponsors, Sky Atlantic and their new show, Tin Star, starring Tim Roth and Christina Hendricks, coming to you September 7th. Um, and the word doesn't come from us this week. Uh, it comes from the star of the show himself, Tim Roth, who plays... British expat cop Jim Worth, uh, who is now the sheriff of a small town, Little Big Bear. And uh, bad things happen to him. But you know what? He happens back to the bad things. So here he is with just a, a few quotes about the show to set things in context. Here's Tim Roth. Enjoy. There was a madness to it that I was interested in. It wasn't the... the, the, um, the f- his job was not interesting to me. Is um the insanity of the man and the craziness and the wildness of, of of the character and how that and his relationships with the people around him that was interesting and I, and I and 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 I was I wasn't I did not know where it was going and that's that's an attractive proposition that was Tim Roth and just as a reminder uh, Tin Star is available on Sky Atlantic from September 7th you can watch all 10 episodes at once if that is your won't or you can watch it on a weekly basis entirely up to you and so and so ends the message from our sponsors uh, and we're going to go straight into our second and final guest this week uh, he is 
uh, a British acting legend. He is a British acting institution. He has been in all sorts of amazing films over the years, from things like Shaun of the Dead to Hot Fuzz, The World's End, and other films not directed by Edgar Wright. One of those comes up this week. It is a Limehouse Golem in which he plays an intrepid British police inspector trying to stop the murders of the infamous Limehouse Golem. He is, of course, Bill Nighy, and he was talking to you, John, wasn't he? He was talking yes, to you. Yes, he was talking to me. There you go. Bill Nighy, John Nugent, that's all you need to know. Enjoy. Uh, we're delighted to welcome to the Empire Podcast, Bill Nighy. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Good to be here. Great. Uh, we, we are here to talk about The Limehouse Golem, which is based on uh, a book by Peter Ackroyd, I believe. You, That's we, correct. Are you familiar with that book? I am now, having made the film. Uh, and in fact, I knew of the book, but I'd never read it. It's called Dan Leno and The Limehouse Golem. Right. Um, and Peter Ackroyd is a wonderful writer, and I hope we've done him justice. Yeah, and it's a sort of uh, a precursor to Jack the Ripper, I suppose. It's like a Victorian murder mystery. Yeah, it's 1880. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of fog. It's a wonderful script by Jane Goldman, and uh, it's a a sensational kind of uh, collection of people who've made the movie. And, uh, yeah, it's a thriller, and um, it's romantic, hopefully. And uh, I play Detective Superintendent John Kilt. Uh, John Kildare of Scotland Yard. It's a long time since I've said that. <laughs> and I always get a bang out of saying that. I've waited a long time to be a detective. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's an interesting character, isn't he, Kildare? He's a sort of intriguing figure. Mm. Um, it's, it, it's all sort of mixed of fiction and facts, but I'm assuming he's a fictional character. Yeah, he's, he's a fictional character who is not majorly featured in the book, right. but he's been um, enlarged for the movie for purposes of the film. Um, yeah, the, the kind of fabulous thing about the, the story is that all the suspects in the murder mystery are, you know, internationally famous figures, yes. or at least famous figures. So that you do get that kind of um, uh, intriguing mix of what's real and what's not. Yeah, it's quite a, a thrill to see Karl Marx sawing someone's head off. I mean, that's yes, not quite. something you see in every film. No, quite. No, it's a quite an unusual film, although it is... You know, it is, I guess, a genre film. And you would think of things like From Hell, the Johnny Depp movie, or rather, uh, I would think would be a kind of a companion piece. But but it is kind of unexpected, and you do see some things you won't have seen before. With with Kildare, was this a character that you sketched out a sort of history and a backstory? Because there's an interesting line where one character uh, says he's not the marrying kind. Mm which says so much, I I suppose. Yes. No, he's gay at a time when it's not, you know, it's not uh, desirable in terms of public life Mm. or any kind of life. You know, it was uh, in those dark days when it was, uh, it could destroy your life. Um, And uh, so, yes, that's an interesting element of the character. Yeah. Uh, We're treated to some fairly magnificent Bill Nye costumes in this film as well. I mean, you're known for being quite a dapper gentleman, are you, were you quite at home in that sort of Victorian cravat? And it's a little that? early for me, to tell you the gods. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I only really get interested in the late 40s. Okay. I, I know to say that because I just made a film called Their Finest, which was set in 1940, and I discovered that clothes only really got good in about 1946. Okay. That's when everything sort of started to flow. Right. Everything got loose and... Um, trousers got bigger uh, and you know it just got more elegant and all the women look compl- very chic yes and uh, and, but the, and and but Victorian England's 
I, I managed to avoid the top hat. That yes. Was the, that was the, that's the great danger. And facial hair, obviously, which is not uh, desirable. It's not for you, then, a, a Victorian sideburn or anything like that? No, I can't bear those Victorian sideburns. Or, the, or even, you know, 1950s sideburns or any sideburns, um, particularly. And, but facial hair really is to be avoided because nearly always you have to stick it on. And, and having to wear false beards or, or sideburns is... I can't tell you how unpleasant it is. It's, a, it's, a, it's an under-regarded source of grief. It's, uh, I would rather, it makes you want to tear your flesh off. Really? Yeah. Is it just because it's hot under the studio it's, lights? Well, and, it's, and it's also it's stuck to you with industrial adhesive, which <laughs> is enough to knock you out. Um, it's, there's, nothing but, there's nothing pleasant about it. Fair enough. Uh, just on uh, their finest, um, I, I think Edgar Wright's tweeted just the other day that this, uh, particularly the last scene where you do a sort of triple take and a pause, he tweeted that was peak naive. Um, <laughs> it did seem like that part was sort of written for you. It was such a, a perfectly pitched Bill well, Nye role. Well, thank you. Uh, they were looking for someone to play a chronically self-absorbed pompous actor in his, in, his, in his declining years and they came to me so thank you for that no uh, it wasn't written it wasn't written for me in fact uh, I don't believe I don't believe um, but uh, but thank you for saying so yeah and I'm pleased that Edgar should uh, say that I've worked with Edgar a couple of times and he's uh, he's a remarkable man yeah, well, I mean, you're you're in. I think you're one of the few actors to be yep. in every Cornetto film. I am in. I am in all three of the Cornetto trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Um, just going back through your CV. I mean, we'll go we'll go through every one bit by bits, and we've got we've yeah, only got right. twenty minutes. How long have we got? Yeah. Red Nose Day actually. That was oh yeah. That was quite a joy for a lot of people to see you return to that character. Yeah, it was fun, you know, to see everybody. I, we hadn't all been in the same room for whatever it is, fourteen years. Yeah. And it was really nice to see everyone, and everyone was in pretty good shape, and you know, and had, and they've all had kind of extraordinary things happen to them since we made the film. And nobody knew, you know, uh, everybody. I mean, I kind of thought it might be a popular film because the script was very good, and because the cast, and because of Richard Curtis, obviously. But nobody, I think, was prepared for the way in which it's entered the language, you know, and it's become a kind of uh, uh, an institution. Mm. Um, but the good news was I could still get into the trousers, which was, you know... <laughs> was it the same pair of trousers? Um, no, but they were of similar dimensions. <laughs> okay. And uh, I had to wear some extraordinary shoes. I saw those shoes, yeah. They were sort of... Was it like sparkling green? They were like furniture. They were like something you'd <laughs> sit on. Uh, or, I don't know, put your dog in. But they were... Uh, they were auctioned, I think, afterwards. So oh, right. somebody is now walking around in those shoes. Wow. And we learn in, in that short film that uh, that Mac has shagged one of the, or at least one of the Kardashians. Uh, did you get any indication which one? Or? Well, I don't, to, to tell you the God's honest truth, I had to ask, I mean, I kind of know who they are. I have no idea. You know, I just don't, I've never watched one, I, well, only by accident have I ever watched one second of what might be described as reality TV. <laughs> I mean, I made a rule the minute I got to hear about it yeah. that it would never enter my life or my consciousness. So unless there's a, you know, unless I unless there's a sort of accident and I can't find the remote. Yeah. And it's no disrespect to any of the people involved. It's just, I just know it's not for me. Yeah. I won't be able to survive it. It's not, it's not entirely, you know, it's not their fault. It's me. I won't be able to, you know, I'll be, uh, it would be overwhelming for me. Yes. 
So the old so I don't know. I don't abstract concept. Well, it was yeah. I mean, I I just trust that Richard knows what he's doing. I mean, I had no. <laughs> I, I you know I don't know which who they. I don't you know I don't. I know they're a family. Yeah, that's all I know. Well, I mean, it got a big laugh, so I think, I oh, think good. the joke landed. Good. That's I all I. Yeah. Tr- honestly, that's all I care about. Yeah, we did see you sort of. Uh, as in a manner of speaking, in the recent uh, parts of the Caribbean film, I don't know if you've yeah, seen. I, this. I haven't seen it, and I've a, a couple of. I had a, a couple of people have come up and said, and told me that I didn't. I didn't know anything about it until about a week ago. I think I was. Oh, I right. was a cab driver. Told me he said that. Uh, he said, uh, "Are you doing the next one?" Because I said no. I didn't know there was a next one. And then he said, "Well, you were you were in the last one." Yeah. I said, "No, I wasn't." And he said, "Well, you were." <laughs> So that's the last. That's the, all I know. You know, you probably know more about it than I do. So, is this a confusing thing to be in a film that you didn't realise you were in? Well, I'm only. I mean, I'm presuming it's a brief glimpse. It's a post-credit scene. So, you, oh, I see. They see you, you sort of the shadow of Davy Jones. Oh, I see. But you, you're not expecting to be in no. parts of the Caribbean six or whatever. Is it it's six. It, this was the last one. Was five. Yeah. Wow. So. Um, I'd love to be in. Uh, I, you know, I'd be there like a shot. But I, ha- I've not been. You've not been approached. I've not been approached. Okay, interesting. I did want to ask you very briefly, uh, as we're speaking, it's been a few days since uh, the new Doctor Who was revealed. Um, According to the internet, you turned the role down back in the day. Well, there you go. There you go with the internet. (laughs) What are we going to do with the internet? Yeah. Um, You know, that's... uh, Even if it were true, I wouldn't tell you. Okay. It's a rule. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, but people put stuff on the internet. There's I mean, all kinds of stuff on the internet. I'm in. I'm often. Uh, my sister looks at the internet. I don't have a computer. I've never owned a computer. I have a smartphone, and but I rarely enter. Very rarely enter that world unless it's a football matter. Okay. I have to know about. Yes, it. that's quite important. Usually, with you know, if somebody's anyway. But um, I've been. You know, I'm often not often, but not infrequently. Credited with being in things I'm not in. Okay, you have such a you know wide and uh, illustrious CV. I, I was fascinated to see you were in Destiny, uh, oh, the yes. video game, as, yeah, as, yeah, as yeah. the speaker. I am, yeah, the speaker. Um, yeah. What's what was your experience like that? Because I mean, that's great. That must be quite a different experience yeah. for an actor. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, I, I'm pleased to be in it, and people, you know, young people are you know are impressed that I'm in it. Which and 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 the thing I like about it is that. If you only get to meet me if you're doing any good. Right, right. As far as I understand, I've yeah. never watched the game. I've never seen the game. Yeah. But uh, and no, I you like... an achievement to be unlocked, I believe. Yeah, exactly. So you have to, you, you, you know, you kind of have to work hard to get to me, mm. which is obviously glamorous. <laughs> um, but I like, the, I like a bit of, I'm, I like genre and I like, generally speaking, I, and I like sci-fi. I like, you know, uh, kind of hip sci-fi obviously um and i and i would count destiny in there yeah in that sort of general area so it's cool to be in that you do hear from some actors that the the, the experience of recording dialogue for a video game can be quite arduous uh, was that, was that yeah it can be because they have specific requirements uh and you can i mean arduous yeah, I mean it can be, you know, it's not digging holes in the street, you know. No, I mean? sure. But it's uh but it can be they do you know, it can be quite pre- you know, it needs to be quite precise sometimes. So yeah. you might have to do quite
quite a few takes to get exactly what they want because they have very, very clear ideas. They often have very, because it's genre and there are certain kind of guidelines or certain precedents for things, including character, mm. they have very, they can have very sort of exacting, uh, very particular uh, ideas about what they want, what they require. But it's not digging a hole in the street. I but it's not digging holes in the street. <laughs> John, let's face it, like men. Yes. Um, you know, I always, I always think whenever I start saying acting's hard, which it is really hard. Yeah. And actually, I think it's harder than digging holes in the street. But <laughs> now I've said it. But, uh, but you always feel you should qualify it in some way by saying, come on, you know. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, any actor who's got a job is already fortunate. So, uh, but, you know, it doesn't mean to say it's a walk in the park. I mean, it can be quite hard. But animations or... Video games are not the hardest part of being an actor. Yeah. I did read somewhere that you don't watch yourself no. in your own films. Why no. is that? Well, I'd, would you like to watch yourself? Have a couple no. of hours? No. 35 feet high? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, who would, you know, I mean, you know, unless uh, I tried it when I was very first on television and it, 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 it was so unpleasant that I decided that if I was going to be an actor and I. I couldn't, you know, that would have to be, uh, I'd have to remove that, that that element because I have to, you know, you have to, I have to go to work again in a minute. Yeah. So I don't need, you know, hard information that all my worst fears are confirmed, <laughs> you know, because that's how I perceive it. I'm, I'm prepared to, I'm now, I've become kind of um, comfortable. Well, I don't know, yeah, I've become, I've become comfortable with the disparity between what I might feel and what other people how other people view it right i used to think they were sort of being polite somewhere between being polite and mad you know what i mean yeah or that it was a conspiracy or you know i can yeah. do i can do that um but uh, now i understand that i'm not necessarily the best judge but do you not feel you're sort of denying yourself some some great films? I mean, you've been in some very good films, Spell. Yeah, but the price is too high. Okay. And thank you for saying that. But the price is too high. And I'm I'm and I was there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know I know what happened, kind of. Okay. Thing. And I and I know the other people in it, and I know the script was good because hopefully because I was you know I chose it, uh, and therefore I have all the information I need, and I'm proud to be in those films. I don't need to have sat there and watched myself all the way through or any, any of the way through fair enough um i should ask this is partly because my mother would hate me if i never asked this question but uh will there be a, a third best exotic marigold hotel i think judy dench was asked this question and she said well they better hurry up <laughs> so uh i mean i don't i've heard nothing tell okay. your tell your mother from me okay that uh what's your mother's name anna hey anna i don't have any hard information about this anna okay but if i do obviously I'm, you're going to be one of the first to know okay she'll be thrilled good we'll, we'll set up a line of communication for two yeah we can work that out um i think i'm almost out of time but just finally last time uh you were on the podcast you, you spoke to my, my colleagues about getting in the wrong taxi and becoming the president oh. of the Crystal Palace I am Ladies Football yeah. Club. I, I, I've, I I've, be I've become less comfortable with the word lady. Okay. I like women better. Yeah. I mean, there's no, dis no disrespect to you. Sure. I mean, it is often referred to in that way. 
but I'm now. I just. Uh, I, I just reminded myself. I no longer want to use that word. Well, I beg your pardon. Was no, it, no, no. It's nothing to do no, with no, you, John. It's nothing it's, to do um, with you. I've just touched his knee. In the, that's fine. I just touched his knee, I'm, and now we're both in very serious trouble. It's uptight, <laughs> averagely uptight Englishman. We're now really. I just. I don't know what came over me. Oh, I won't wash that knee ever again. I was trying honestly. to reassure him. That's all it was, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> But I touched his knee. So anyway, the official title is Crystal Palace Women's Football Club. Is that that's what I'm calling it? Okay. And they are also referred to as the Invincibles, right? Because if you ask me how many games they lost uh, the season before last, which is when they gained this title, I will tell you they they lost no games whatsoever. Wow. They drew twice. Okay. And they won all the others. That's you can impressive. imagine a football team doing And can we attribute this success to your presidential regime? Absolutely not. <laughs> it has nothing to do with me whatsoever. They did it all by themselves. If anything, I impeded them. If anything, they were thinking, oh, God, we've got to do all this. And now we've got this lame president thing. Uh, I've never been a president of anything, and they've never, I don't think, had a president. Right. The, the man who recruited me, satisfyingly, always refers to me as El Presidente, <laughs> which obviously I like very much. Yeah, but your, your presidential duties don't extend beyond, uh, it's a ceremonial role, presumably. Yeah, it's a ceremony. I'm creating the role. Okay, you make so, it work. Uh, so we have to see, we'll see how we go as we go along. But, um, you know, I, I, at the moment, yes, it is a kind of, it's a figurehead okay. is, the, is the word we might use. Well, best of luck to you and, and the women, not ladies, of, of Crystal Palace. Thank and, you very uh, much indeed. Bill Nye, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, so that was Bill Nye. Uh, John, good guy. I walked past once in news agents and I just got that good guy vibe. Yeah, he's definitely a good guy. He's the kind of guy I'd like to hang out with. Uh, he was also very kind enough to leave a little message to my mum as you will have heard. <laughs> oh, sort of I, the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, this is a podcast for wow. Mrs. Nugent. Similarly, did, did he ask her whether you can balance M&M's and your nipples? That didn't come up, actually. That didn't, it was so on the tip weird. of my tongue. It was on the tip of my tongue. Well, you're doing it wrong. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the film, The Limehouse Golem. And so this is about Andy Serkis, right? No, no, diff- n- not Gollum. Oh, right, Golem. Okay. Got it. Completely wrong. Yeah. What's it? What's it about? Tell me. Tell me. Uh, this is about. It's based on the book by uh, Peter Ackroyd, Dan Lino, and the Limehouse Golem. Oh, okay. Um, so a series of ritualistic killings in Victorian London. It's a sort of precursor to the Jack the Ripper murders. Okay. Um, and the the police parachute in Inspector Kildare, played by the fabulously dapper Bill Nye, to investigate these crimes. Kildare is quite an interesting character. He's it's very heavily implied that he's gay at a time when you can't be gay, obviously, uh, and so he's being used as a sort of scapegoat for unsolvable murders. Mm-hmm. On his investigations, he comes across some musical stars. So there's Dan Lino, who's played by Douglas Booth, his protege in in the musicals, Elizabeth, who's played by Lid, uh, Olivia Cook, and he starts to sort of unravel the story behind these murders. So that's basically it. I mean, it's a very cookie-cutter portrayal of Victorian London. There's, you know, lots of fog and gothic costumes and graphic murders. I mean, really graphic murders, actually, surprisingly so. If you mm-hmm. if you really like watching women murdered in extremely graphic ways, then I guess this is the, the movie for you, but you should probably, you know, not like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe think about your life. Maybe, maybe, maybe not, reconsider. Not liking that. Yeah. <laughs> 
So this is a film aimed at the Limehouse Golem, as far as, yeah. far as I can tell. Yeah, it's it's pretty explicit I, uh, in in a way that perhaps it didn't need to be. Yeah, it's it's a strange film because it it, they, it portrays there, there's about three suspects, major suspects throughout the film, and each of them are real life figures. Um, so there's musical legend uh, Dan Lino, as as I mentioned, who is a, a real life musical star. There's um, a, f- a failed playwright, John Cree, played by Sam Reed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Karl Marx, as in the actual Karl Marx. Um, and we, we witness these murders sort of um, uh, as, as if they were done by the suspects in a sort of hypothetical fantasy. So you, you have this really strange sequence of Karl Marx sawing a woman's head off, um, which is not, you know, it's, it's quite an unusual thing to see the father of, of communism portrayed as a murderer. Uh, now, not capitalists to, will love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, not to give any any spoilers away, but the the actual killer um, is signposted from about the fifth minute, so you already know who's done it in a what is purportedly a who done it. <laughs> and I spent the entire film just sort of with my head in my hands, thinking, I I know, I know, I know what happens. <laughs> I, I've I've already figured it out. I've, you've telegraphed it literally from the first flashback. So when it comes to what is supposedly the big reveal, there is nothing to reveal, and it's infuriating. It's absolutely infuriating. It, I I I feel like they think they're being very clever, and they're really not it's a real shame because there's there is a really good cast i think bill nye is very dependably great um he's not playing up to his you know usual sort of bill nye character as Devin, it were he's Devin Cad yeah type. he's he's a, yeah. he's a lot bit more serious and subdued Suave. and he's very um he's very good for that olivia cook is very good as well she's she's carries a lot of the film on her shoulders and you know she gives a really game performance um and douglas booth plays this very sort of camp uh, Victorian showman, and he's he's brilliant. But it, but it, it doesn't quite come together. I, I, it feels a little bit predictable. It feels a little bit like a sort of Jack the Ripper ripoff. And I don't know. I I just I just find it if if a who done if you know who done it in a who done it, then fundamentally it's flawed. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, we gave this one two stars. Yeah, shame. Yeah. Two stars then for the Limehouse Golem, but I, you know what? I gave your Bill Nye interview four stars. Thank you. <laughs> what what yeah. did I miss on the fifth star? Uh, it was the nipple thing. <laughs> I should have just you should have asked him the nipple question. You should have gone in just balancing a green one on this one, and then balancing a. Do they do blue M and M's? Oh, crazy! Yes, you should do. know yes, this. They Come on. No, Come they on. don't. They do they? I just eat them. I don't look at the colours. <laughs> Right, so two stars down for the Limehouse Golem. I apologise for this week's <laughs> inadvertent riff. Stratton, that's a film that's coming out. It is a film that's coming out. It's um, it's based on a series of novels about a British spy, a member of well, a member of the Special Boat Service, which is more commando unit, but they work very closely with MI6, and therefore they actually they they kind of do a lot of the action stuff that James Bond dozen films in real life. Right, right. okay. Um, so uh, they're kind of the naval equivalent of the SAS. They're, they're the equivalent of the US Navy SEAL with whom they often work. And the series of books was written by Duncan Faulkner um, uh, about the service. So John Stratton the command- the, 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 is the hero of all of them. He's played here by Dominic Cooper and he's basically assigned to track down a former Russian agent played by Thomas Kretschmann uh, <laughs> Yes, uh, who's who's planning an international terror attack against 
London. Um, oh. I know. So that's kind of the, the basic setup. Um, it was, uh, it's, it's kind of a bit of a, a team movie. You start off with Stratton's best, best mate, who's um, played by Tyler Hodgson, um, who was Superman recently in Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Um, getting killed during a raid that goes wrong because no! of this Russian spy. Sorry, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a spoiler, but it's the, literally the first five minutes. J.R. Um, Tolkien, now this. You just won't stop, <laughs> would you? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and uh, he has to team up with another U.S. Uh, SEAL who may or may not be quite as dependable, um, as well as his own MI6 and uh, SBS unit to try and stop this new terror threat. Now, it's all directed by Simon West, who of course made Con Air. Yes. Um, it doesn't live up to those standards because... Very few films do. What can. Um, but, but you know what? I didn't, I didn't mind it. I think it's quite fun. There's Gemma Chan's in there as the sort of um, tech wizard. You've got Tom Felton as, as her sort of partner in, on the tech side of things. Um, Connie Nielsen plays mm-hmm. the SBS boss, uh, or is okay. kind of MI6 boss. So it's a really good cast. It's just a little bit too it, it tries Generic. not to be no well a little bit but it tries not to be bond by keeping things a little bit more dialed back and a little bit more reined in and it's a little bit too dialed back and reined in at times so then when the action scenes happen they don't feel as as kind of natural okay um so yeah we didn't Love this one. We give it two. I'd maybe be a little bit warmer towards it than that, but it's a two-star film. Can I just clarify real quickly? Sure. I, I laughed at the mention of Thomas Kretschmann's name. It wasn't because I think he's a bad actor. I think he's a good actor. I was laughing at him being cast as, as another, a bad guy. Yeah. Yes, because it shows a lack of imagination. Yeah. Uh, but I will say Henry Cavill was meant to play this role and he dropped was. out quite late in yeah. the day. Um, how's Dominic Cooper in this? Because I, I, I like Dominic Cooper a lot as an actor. I'm not sure I see him as a hard-edged killing machine. I mean, he's not. It's not that he's bad in the action scenes. He's he's good in them. Um, I just think, like I say, I think he's just he's above all too dialed back and a little bit internal. And you maybe need a little bit of the flash of Bond for this to work. Um, so there's there's some quite nice notes. You know, he was basically raised by Derek Jacobi's character, and they sort of trade little banter over fishing boats and things like that. So there's, there's some nice notes about it, but yeah. it just he doesn't quite carry it the way you wish he would, and the way he can in other things. How much better would it have been had he just been raised by Derek Jacobi? <laughs> um, I mean, that would be pretty cool too. Yeah. Be, yeah so there we go. Uh, two stars for Stratton. Tries hard, but ultimately is just a load of SBS. Um, hey. What? Uh, <laughs> all right. So next up, we have God's Own Country, which is a film. I know that Empire, we have a feature in this month's uh, uh, edition with the director, Francis Lee, uh, talking about what inspired him to make the movie. Uh, it's a movie that we've gone gaga for why have we gone gaga for it helen because it's really good chris i mean basically um so we're we're up in rural yorkshire um and uh the 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 sort of protagonist i guess is johnny who's played by josh o'connor who's the son of a sheep farmer is himself you know stepping into that role his his dad's getting on his dad's getting sort of slower and sicker and, and he's kind of stepping up to kind of make up the difference um and has sort of small uh small expectations of life I guess when we meet him you know he's he's just going he works he drinks he goes to sleep he wakes up probably throws up and you know gets back to it there's not much more to his life than that um sort of wordless sex uh and sort of meaningless kind of hookups like that uh and then they hire a new farmhand um who kind of 
breaks into his shell, I guess, and, and breaks mm. something open inside him. And, and there's a kind of a, a tenderness and a connection, I guess, between them that sort of, it's kind of transcendent, actually. It's, it's a gorgeous kind of relationship movie. I mean, and that's what's drawn all these very, very flip and very uh, easy comparisons to Brokeback Mountain, which have, have kind of been the one-line review of this film the whole way through. But it mm. is that sort of tentative uh tentative relationship between two guys who are afraid to let themselves show it, I guess. Um, and yeah, beautifully, beautifully performed, gorgeously shot and directed, mm. um, and, and really kind of, a really, I mean, an incredibly confident debut, but also just a, a beautiful, beautiful love story. Fantastic. And so this one is a four star. Four star film. Four stars then for God's Own Country. And uh, spoiler alert, four stars also for Patty Cakes. Yeah, um, which is which is quite a lot of fun actually. So we've got uh, Danielle McDonald, who is uh, Australian, although I wouldn't have guessed because her New-, New Jersey accent is, to my untutored ear, pretty darn convincing. Uh, she plays a, a wannabe rapper uh, who lives in New Jersey and has a very tough existence. Her mum is a kind of party girl who's never kind of gotten on with her life. Uh, her grandmother, played by Kathy Moriarty, is uh, is very sick and they don't have proper health insurance so they're being chased for money for her. She only has a small t- uh, a part-time job and she can't find a, a permanent position that would pay her enough to kind of cover all of this. And she and her best friend Jerry are dr- dream of kind of getting out and and making it as a, as a rap duo um, called Thick and Thin because Jerry, um, played by Siddharth Dananjay, is thin and she is quite large. Um, that isn't kind of working for them until they hook up with a anarchist uh anarchist punk um <laughs> really uh who's who goes by the name bastard the antichrist oh my um, god <laughs> that he's played by mamadou athi who played grandmaster flash in the get down okay, uh, and he's yeah. kind of he's a i loved him out he's a kind of zen wise warm very silent figure who goes completely nuts in his music it's great um but the real breakout of this is Danielle McDonald as Paddy herself because she is just, uh, she's a really talented rapper, uh, but she just doesn't look like she's a really talented rapper and it, and it sort of uh, has to kind of overcome everyone's expectations and to some extent her own to kind of get anywhere in life. Uh, without giving any anything away, the, the sort of the way this film pays off, I think is one of the best conclusions in years. I think it's just beautifully brings together all the things that have happened during the film. There are times when this film lags a little bit and drags a tiny bit in the middle section, but the way they bring it all together at the end is spot on. It's mm. really, really well done. And and it is a great turn from McDonald. If there is any justice in the world, she should get a huge number of offers on the bit back of this, but really, really good stuff. Fantastic. So four stars for that. Yeah. Uh, four stars also for God's Own Country. What would you recommend? If people were to see just one. I mean, honestly, it depends on your mood. I think God's Own Country is a beautiful film, but it's it's more, you know, it's going to be slower and, and quieter and, and more kind of peaceful. Mm. And Paddy Cakes is a little bit more in your face. So, so just... Strat- strat- it is, it is strat- strat- literally... It is. <laughs> but it's literally the difference between Yorkshire and New Jersey. So you've got to decide what you're in the mood for. Which one's got Thomas Kretschmann again? <laughs> Stratton. Right. Stratton. A Stratton Avengers Age of Ultron double bill. Uh, Ultron won't be in it though because I bought him for £4.50. I made that very, very clear at the beginning of the you movie. You did. Uh, at the beginning of the movie? Sure. Is this a movie? <laughs> I hope not. If it is, it's very badly written. <laughs>
It's very badly everything. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast, brought to you by those lovable coves at Sky Atlantic. Do not forget that Tin Star, all 10 episodes will be available from September 7th, or you can watch it weekly from September 7th. It's entirely up to you. Uh, right, that's it from us. It is goodbye from John. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to my local branch of WH Smith's. Uh, don't ask what I'm going to be doing there, but... It involves M&M's. Crispy ones Chris, are the best. No. Crispy ones are the best. They're big. How do you even... Never mind. I don't want to know. Please don't tell me. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>